This morning we are returning back to our study of the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles with you, let me encourage you to open them to the third chapter this morning. As we have been tracing our way through this story, we've been noticing various themes. We've really zeroed in on this, this theme or idea of belonging. We've noticed uh, the importance of family and how God is creating a different kind of family throughout this story. Today I want to zero in on a, a, a different word that I think is, is part of that, that sense of belonging, part of what knits and draws a new kind of family together. It's a simple word, though it's the depth, I think, of its meaning is incredibly complex and deep. Let's see if I can jump forward here. Often the, the simplest words in a language are among the, the hardest to define, to capture the fullness of what they mean. I was reading a, a recent news article that there is one particular word, a very common word in the English language, uh, which the Oxford English Dictionary says is the most complicated word to define. It's three letters. Any, any guesses as to what the most complicated word to define is in the English language? Anybody? The, not the, it's a good guess. It's, it's the word run might be surprising to you, but according to Oxford, there are over 600 discrete uses of the word run. And so in its exhaustive dictionary, you know, the complete Oxford English Dictionary, you have 600 plus entries under that one word, right? You could run a race, you could run for office, you can run the numbers, right? You could, you could go on and think of all the different ways we use that word. In fact, when they published the next volume, the, the next edit of the Oxford English Dictionary, the entry for run is predicted to run in excess of 50,000 words, just to define that one term. Similarly, one of the, the, the scriptures, one of the Bible's most challenging words to define is also among its most basic. It's also three letters in Hebrew. It's the word Hesed. Hesed appears hundreds of times in the Old Testament. Most of the time it's used in reference to God and his relationship with us. And it's a word that, generally speaking, centers around the idea of love. But again, the word love doesn't seem to capture the fullness of what Hesed entails. Back when Miles Coverdale, uh, one of the, the first translators of the scriptures into English, when he produced the first full translation of the English Bible in 1535, he actually invented a new word in order to express this idea of chesed in the Old Testament. And he, he produced the word loving kindness, all one word. Loving kindness was the closest he could get to defining chesed. Since 1535, as new translations have come out in the English language, that word hesed has been defined more than 160 different ways, translated more than 160 different ways into English. Translators have used words like devotion, or mercy, or kindness, or covenant loyalty, or faithfulness, 
or grace or simply love, all trying to get at this, this one three-letter word, chesed. I would argue that getting a clearer picture of what chesed means is important not only because it appears with great frequency in the Bible, but because it also appears in some of the most important statements God makes about himself in Scripture. I've shared before, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is that moment in Exodus 34 where Moses is is atop Mount Sinai and he asks the Lord, he says, show me your glory. And the Lord tells him where to go and where to stand and to hide himself in the rock at the top of the mountain. And as God appears or reveals himself to Moses in that moment, one of the, the few things God says as he passes by He says, I am full of chesed, full of of steadfast love. I'm full of mercy, full of loyalty. And he says, and I am the kind of God who shows that chesed to a thousand generations for those who love me, for those who remain in covenant relationship with me. This morning in our call to worship, Psalm 103, you heard that same word in Hebrew, right? As as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's chesed, God's love for those who fear him. So we have this word that we're attempting to define, attempting to understand. And as we get closer to it, we understand more, God says, of what he is like, more of who he is at the most basic level. One of the things I think scripture reveals to us is that chesed love comes from God, but often we notice it, we taste of it, we experience it through human relationships, through real life, concrete circumstances. I want to play for you just a a brief clip from a pastor and author named Paul Miller. He's written and thought a lot about this idea of chesed love, and just wanted to share with you a few of his thoughts about what that kind of love looks like and how we come to know it. The topic of love was forced on me by my wife some 20 years ago uh, during a really hard time in our marriage and our family's life. One night we were going to bed and as we were walking up the steps, my wife said to me, do you love me? And I said, yes, I love you. And then she asked me at the top of the steps, do you love me? And I thought, what's going on? I just thought you wanted reassurance. And then she asked me a third time, do you love me? And at that point I got irritated because I realized she didn't want reassurance. She was doubting if I loved her. Her question began to sit on my mind. And for the next month, my prayers went from sort of gritting my teeth, God help me to love my wife, to kind of a quieter, God help me to love my wife, to even a quieter, God would you show me what love is. And that began a 20 year journey of exploring, uh, understanding, and falling in love with the idea of love. 
One of the key things at the heart of that was discovering the biblical idea of Hesed love. The idea of Hesed love, it combines two ideas, the idea of love and commitment. So in other words, my love for you is not based on you. It's a setting of the will to love regardless of how you respond to me and even remarkably of how I feel. I'm fascinated with the idea of Hesed love because it offers several promises. One is that it, it can uh, unmask the frames that the culture has uh, given us where we unwittingly breathe kind of the air of this world. One of the things in modern culture that is just sort of the spirit of the age is the preservation of freedom. But the very nature of love is to narrow the life. It limits the person. And that does a couple things. One is it just strips your ego. It's just self dies in the activity of love. But probably the best thing is that it draws you into union with Christ. And you get to taste God in the activity of loving. And that's probably the, one of the weakest parts of our tradition if we've lost this sense is you get to know God through the activity of loving. And by far, that is the best part of love. I really appreciated that, that final insight that Miller shares there. He says, we get to know God through the activity of loving. We, we taste of who God is and what it's like to be loved by Christ as we give and as we receive the Hesed love of another. Throughout the, the history of the church, this book of Ruth that we're reading has been held up as one of the finest examples of romantic love. And many commentators would argue that kind of the overarching theme, one of the the, the sort of central points to reading the book of Ruth is to understand Hasid love, to depict it in the form of a real life story. Today, as we read through the third chapter together, we've looked at each of these characters, Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, kind of in isolation. But now, as their stories are getting woven together, we see how all three of them are pictures. They're, they're one piece of that definition to try to round out our understanding of chesed, love, and kindness. So let me pray for us as we open to Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. God, we believe that this kind of love is at the core of who you are, and so you want to give our imaginations new breath, new life, new insight into understanding what love looks like. Lord, we believe you are able to feed us through your word, able to grow us. So Lord, I pray as I preach, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts lay hold of your word and its sustenance. May we trust it, may we taste it, may we receive it and be changed by it pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. To give a, a quick bit of context as we jump into the start of chapter 3, remember that back as we finished chapter 2, we saw things significantly improving in the life of Ruth and Naomi. 
Right? They've, they've come out of, of hunger and starvation. They've come back to the land of Bethlehem. They've been welcomed in by Boaz. And in his generosity, they now have more than enough to eat. Ruth, we said, has been welcomed into meaningful work in Boaz's fields. She's been welcomed into a community of friends and peers to work among. And so there's, I think, a growing sense of hope and contentment that, that emerges at the end of chapter 2. Here at the outset of chapter 3, though, Naomi gives us a picture, I think, of Hesed love in her willingness to move beyond or to think beyond that immediate sense of contentment and comfort and to think toward the future for her daughter-in-law. Let's look at 3, 1 through 4. It says, One day during that harvest season, Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you. A home where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with, whom, with whose women you have worked, he is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. So wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Naomi, I think, gives us that first definition, this first picture of chesed love here. By demonstrating her sacrificial concern for someone else. She is concerned about Ruth's future. And we see that right away in verse 1, where she says, My daughter, the first thing I desire, the thing that's of utmost importance to me now, is to find a home for you. A home where you will be well provided for. And by, by that she means a home other than her own. If we're to put ourselves into Naomi's shoes for a moment, you can imagine that there would have been nothing more inviting, nothing more attractive than the idea of keeping Ruth close to her. Keeping Ruth under her own roof for companionship, for friendship, even for the, the economic support that Ruth was bringing into that household by gleaning in the fields. She was a younger woman. She was still able to work and labor and contribute to the family. But what was comfortable for Naomi is not what she chooses to do here. To preserve any, any hope for continuing their family line, to preserve a sense of, of future and hope for Ruth, she knows that she needs a new home. And in that time and place, that means she also needs a new husband. And so Naomi's love here compels her 
to be concerned for another, to go beyond herself. And it, it thrusts her into the role of becoming a matchmaker. And she thinks about who could be this future home for Ruth. And she lands on just the person, their relative Boaz. According to Israelite culture and custom, if one was widowed, they could be married to a nearby relative in the extended family clan. And we talked a few weeks ago about, about the designation of a goel, or a redeemer. This was a, a man in the family who was charged with upholding the family name, and particularly with caring for the most vulnerable members of the family. If they were to fall into debt, or to go into slavery, or be widowed or orphaned. It was the responsibility of the redeemer, the goel, to step in at that time. Now, interestingly enough, in Naomi's situation, she too is a widow. And actually, she is closer in age to Boaz than Ruth is. She's the Israelite. She's the, the next sort of descendant in the, in the, the clan and the village there of Bethlehem. And so I imagine that Naomi very easily could have sought out Boaz for herself sought his companionship, sought his protection, sought his affection. But instead, we see that Naomi acts to secure a future for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Again, Naomi's love is other-centered. It points away from herself. I think one of the ways we taste and we experience the chesed love of God is when we allow ourselves to be concerned for another. When we are moved to think about someone else's good, someone else's need, someone else's flourishing, more than we just fixate on our own needs and desires. Right? We, we begin to experience and, 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 and taste the activity of Hesed love when that good becomes more desirable than our own. And I think that's true as individuals. It's true in our marriages. It's true in the way we raise children. I think it's true for us as a church. Right? We taste the chesed love of God when, when the needs and the flourishing and the good of, of people out there become more important to us than just our own self-preservation, just our own desires and comforts. Naomi models this kind of concern. And in this particular instance, Naomi, again, becomes a matchmaker, and she begins to express her hesed love for Ruth by plotting a, rom a romantic rendezvous for her at the village threshing floor. This is kind of like the original blind date back in Judean culture. And she becomes her, her dating coach, and she, she walks Ruth through, step by step, how to get ready for this event. She tells her, her to bathe and to put on perfume. And she even instructs her to change out of her clothing and put on her best clothes. 
And what that may actually indicate is that up to this time, Ruth may have continued to wear her garments of mourning, right, that, that signified she was a widow, that she was grieving the loss of her former husband. But now as she, she bathes, she puts on perfume, she dresses in the, the finest, most attractive garments that she owns. Naomi tells her to sneak away at dusk and find Boaz out on the threshing floor. Right? And, and Naomi, out of her love for Ruth, sends her on this mission to attract a lover. Look at how Ruth responds to that love. Verses 5 through 10. Ruth answered, I will do whatever you say. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor, and she did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner, spread the wing of your garment over me. Since you are a guardian redeemer, you are a goel of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness, literally this chesed, is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Naomi shows us a picture of Hesed love in her concern for the other, being concerned for the, the future of her daughter-in-law. Here, I think Ruth, in turn, sort of depicts or displays another feature of Hesed. And I think that's in her other-centered commitment, her other-centered trust of one who loves her. Ruth expresses her chesed love by committing herself to Naomi's plan. And you can see that in these verses. Right? She says, I will do whatever you say, Naomi. Let me just say that Naomi's plan is risky. <laughs> Naomi's plan is unorthodox. We might even say Naomi's plan is a little risque. Right, she tells, think, think about what she's telling this young woman to do. Right? She says, get dressed in your finest clothes, put on pure perfume, sneak out at dark, and lie down next to a man who's been eating and drinking wine. Lay down at his feet and see what happens there in the dark, all alone. Right? At the very least, this plan is meant to be provocative. It's meant to get Boaz's attention. And as the reader, we're, we're not entirely sure what's going to happen next, how this plan is going to turn out. If we look at verses 8 and 9, it's clear that Boaz is equally unsure of what's going on here. Right? He, he works all day at, in the field. He goes to the threshing floor. He eats, he drinks, he lies down. And then somewhere through the middle of the night, he notices his feet are cold. Right? He wakes up. He wonders what happened to his, his garment, his cover. 
And there he dis discovers a young woman lying at his feet. And he says, who are you? And he can't in the darkness perceive who this person is. And Ruth reveals her identity. And just as Boaz begins to understand where he is and what's happening, before he can sort of gain equilibrium, the next thing out of Ruth's mouth is a marriage proposal. Verse 10. She says to Boaz, spread the corner. Or again, more literally, the word in Hebrew here is wing. Spread the wing of your garment over me, since you are the redeemer of our family. And I think those words are significant in a couple of different ways. Were Boaz to do as Ruth has invited him to do here, if he were to take his, his own garment and stretch it over her there where they're sleeping, he would be inviting her into a kind of physical intimacy that, that's symbolic of, of the intimacy a husband and wife share. Right? It, would, it would be akin to a statement that they are becoming as one. But more than that, I think Ruth is inviting Boaz to cover her with his promise. The promise of belonging, the promise of safety, the promise of provision, the promise to love her by extending his garment over her. She asks him literally to bring her under his wing. And I think in, in the beauty of the, the poetry and the way this story is written, we're told that Ruth is remembering back to the first time she met Boaz, back in chapter 2. And you'll remember there in the fields, as, as Boaz shows compassion and kindness to Ruth, and he sees all the sacrifices Ruth has made to, to care for her mother-in-law, what does, what does Boaz pray for Ruth? He prays that the Lord would cover her, would shelter her under the shadow of his wings. I think Ruth remembers those words now. And she's asking Boaz to be that covering, to make that love of Yahweh, that sheltering of Yahweh, concrete by becoming her husband. And we could imagine, right, the surprise. This is pretty forward. In this culture, women don't usually propose to men. Workers don't propose to the ones whose fields they work in. But listen to Boaz's reply, verse 10. He says, indeed, may God bless you in this way. For your kindness, literally your chesed love, in making this proposal is even greater than the chesed you have shown in the past. And by which I think he means her chesed devotion and commitment to Naomi. And he says, rather than chasing a young man, rather than chasing a handsome man or a rich man, Boaz says, you have sought out me. This is a great expression of chesed, he says, of kindness, of love. Why? What, what about Ruth's actions convey what chesed means? Well, again, here I think Ruth is demonstrating her other-centered commitment and fidelity. Right? She could have thought merely of her own needs, her own desires. 
She could have thought of her own preferences. And she likely could have found another suitor. She could have gone back to Moab earlier in the book and found a husband there. Likely she could have found other younger men in the village of Bethlehem. Instead, she commits to a future with Boaz. Primarily because he is a redeemer in Naomi's family line. Again, so much of this action is done with Naomi's well-being in mind. Ruth knows that Boaz will care not just for her, but will care for her whole family. Will take an interest in Naomi's well-being. She knows Boaz is a man who will shelter her and love her in the same way God has shown compassion and kindness to her. Right? Ruth's love looks beyond her immediate desires and chooses an end that will be a blessing for generations yet to come. Ruth demonstrates love through an other-centered trust and commitment. I want us to notice, finally, how Boaz honors that expression of love there at the threshing floor. Verses 11 through 15. Boaz said, And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, There is still another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing. Hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. Just as we saw Naomi's Concern as an expression of love. As we see Ruth's commitment as an expression of love. I think Boaz gives us a third dimension to what chesed love is like. He shows us it's a love that protects. It's a a love that honors. It's a love that cherishes the interest of our love. It's a love that chooses what is honorable and upright rather than what's just simply expedient. I think Boaz's love is expressed through an other-centered character, a habit, a way of responding to others. Boaz demonstrates this character first in verse 11 by reassuring Ruth that he's favorably inclined to her proposal. He is honored, he is flattered by it. He also praises her own noble character. He sees what's in her heart, and he names it as beautiful, as good. And in the same way that Ruth did everything Naomi asked of her, now Boaz says to Ruth, I will also do everything you've asked of me. 
I will make your good greater than my own. I will seek your well-being first. And Boaz says, I will do all that I can even to take your hand in marriage. But because Boaz is a man of chesed, love, and character, because he seeks to love in the way that God loves, he insists on proceeding with propriety here. And in verse 12, he indicates that there's actually another redeemer, another relative who is more closely related than he is to Naomi and Ruth. And so we're... Boaz to take her then and there as his wife, were he to take her under the wing of his garment, right? He could bring dishonor on his family. He could potentially bring dishonor and shame upon Naomi and Ruth also. And so instead, he invites a trusting patience. He says to Ruth, stay here at my feet, not under my garment, but at my feet, until morning. But then he says, as surely as the Lord lives, when morning comes, I will settle this matter completely. Notice that Boaz invokes the faithfulness of God as his reason for hope. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, as surely as the Lord gives life and strength and character to me, I will pursue what chesed love requires. And as a a small gesture, a token, a symbol of that love and commitment, he sends Ruth home with a gift for Naomi. He takes her shawl, he fills it with several measures of grain from the threshing floor. And he says, take this home, and wait, and trust, and invite the Lord to act at the city gate. Again, everything Boaz does here, I think, is a demonstration of that faithful character. And I think this last gift of grain that they can take home and they can eat for breakfast the next morning is an invitation to to taste and to trust and to hope in that chesed love. That God will bring things to fruition. As we practice other-centered concern, other-centered commitment, other-centered character among this family. We get to discover the riches of who God is and what his love is like for us. We experience it through one another, but we are also commanded and called to draw from its source, from the one who shelters us under his wings the one who calls us to come to his table and taste of the riches of his love. We are invited by Christ to come and taste of his chesed love today at the Lord's table. 